As we look today at Advent, which means the coming, the arrival of the promise of the Father to the people of Israel and the Messiah has come. And as Advent arrives every year, we begin the countdown to Christmas Day. And each day, with much scrutiny, we ask ourselves, how many more days till Christmas? And we get excited about it. Somehow, I don't know where our excitement is leading. How can you miss Christmas, we ask ourselves. Uh, and how many of us can really truly miss an overweight Santa Claus on the rooftop? Or how can you miss him sneaking presents under your feet? Oh, I know, I know, you don't believe in Santa Claus. You don't believe that he truly comes. But do you believe in the first coming? Do you believe in the return of King Jesus? Let me ask you that question. Ever since our Lord Jesus Christ has been and, uh, part of our lives, part of the world, part of entering this world, the church has been waiting 2,000 plus years for the coming of the Lord. We've been waiting on our tippy toes for expectation of the arrival of the king. It's something that grabs our spirit and our souls and gives us the hope, hence hope on the first Sunday of Advent, that we need for daily living and for just some sanity in our lives. You watch closely every day with wonder and awe, not just at Advent time, but Advent is the time for the followers of Christ to adjust our binoculars of expectation for the unexpected hour of the ages to arrive. It's a time to refocus. Advent is more than a countdown on an Advent chocolate calendar by Kinder or Ferrero Rocher. After $30 for paying for a chocolate calendar, Advent is preparing ourselves to meet King Jesus personally and up close. Advent begins in the dark for us in the West here. As the day gets shorter and shorter, the night gets longer and longer until after December the 21st, and then we move towards light. But it comes to us in the dark, and the light that came into the darkness, John's Gospel says, the world could not extinguish it. It could not snuff it out. That's how powerful the light of Jesus Christ is. And most of us can relate to a time where we were anticipating something really big to happen in our lives, like a wedding, the birth of a child, retirement, a long work for a raise that you wish you were getting, and then finally it arrives. And for some of you, for the Maple Leafs to win the Stanley Cup. <laughs> I know Chicago took a beating the last two games. Anyway, moving on. <laughs> Whatever it might be, we know what it's like to watch in extreme anticipation, waiting, waiting, waiting for that moment to come. Earlier in chapter 24 of Matthew's Gospel is where we're going. Some of the disciples questioned Jesus about the end of the age. Now he's deep into answering them, imploring them to be ready for what is coming. And these are the words that Matthew writes for us. They're familiar words. Every three years in the cycle of the liturgical calendar in season A, which we are in now, on the first Sunday of Advent, you read these words together as Christ's people. No one knows about that day or hour. Not even the angels in heaven know, 
The Son does not know, only the Father knows. Now remember that Jesus cast aside his divinity and he's showing us what it means to live as a human being in perfect relationship with the Father, okay? That's why he doesn't know as far as his humanity is concerned. And remember how it was in the days of Noah. It will be the same when the Son of Man comes. In the days before the flood, people were eating and drinking. They were getting married. They were giving their daughters to be married. They did all those things right up to the day Noah entered the ark. They knew nothing about what would happen until the flood came and took them all away. This is how it would be when the Son of Man comes. Two men will be in the field. One will be taken and the other left. Two women will be grinding with a handmill. One will be taken and the other left, so keep watch. You do not know on what day your Lord will come. You must understand something. Suppose the owner of the house knew what time of night the robber was coming. Then he would have kept watch. He would, have, he would not have let his house be broken into. So you also must be ready. The Son of Man will come at an hour when you don't expect him. Hence, the unexpected hour. Father, as we come before you on this first Sunday of Advent, Lord, may we be alert to your presence. May we be alert to your word. May we be alert to the Spirit moving in our midst right now, even as we speak after we have broken bread and drank of the cup of victory that is ours through Christ Jesus. So come, Lord, and speak to us anew and afresh through this text of Matthew that has endured the ages, for we ask it in Christ's name, amen. We are called to live a life focused on King Jesus. The text reveals a distractedness that can consume all of us. Instead of staying focused on Christ and sharing Christ and living the life Christ has called us to live, other things rush in, like the Niagara, and begin to distract us. Diversions that take us off track in many silly areas of life instead of our focus on Christ during this Advent season or Christmas season. The devotional Born the King, which is what the publishing house of the Church of the Nazarene has issued this year, is written by two co-pastors, Christine and her husband, which are, he's the DS in California, and his name slips me, but she wrote this part of the devotional. She says, Christmas became a checklist rather than a celebration. Hello? Christmas became a checklist instead of praising the Lord. Sing to the king. She says, Christmas became pressure rather than peace. Hello? And then she says, it became about commercialism rather than Christ. A checklist or celebration, pressure or peace, commercialism or Christ, where do you stand on her evaluation of Advent? What is distracting you this Advent season? Any of the above? All of the above? Or maybe you can add your own this or that. We live in the midst of marketplace hysteria. It's everywhere. This is Matthew's gospel, right? Then throughout Matthew's gospel, he narrates the story of Christ as a call for his followers to live a God-centered, focused life. In other words, we are called to live a woken life. Stay woke. 
It's Matthew's gospel, the one who starts his gospel that his name shall be called Emmanuel, for God is with us. The one who ends his gospel with the declaration that after he says that all authority and power has been given to you, not just us leaders, you who are children of the Most High God, to go into the world to teach and baptize and make sure people obey the commandments. He says, lo, I am always with you. He begins the Gospel of Matthew, he ends the Gospel of Matthew with the truth that God is with us always. He does not abandon us. We might abandon him, but he never abandons us. Amen? We are all called to join in the mission of God. And amen to that myself. It's great. It's a privilege. It's an honor to, honor to be part of God's people that get a chance to share the gospel of Jesus Christ, knowing that he has given us all authority and power. I love these words by Briss Pure from Australia. He says, I'm not a religious scaremonger. I know a lot of people in our discussions, they're trying to say that maybe we're not scaring the people into the kingdom much. I'm not a scaremonger. But he says, I am a glory monger. Glory to God. I want all of you to participate in the joy of the Son of Man who comes in glory, not only at the second coming, not only at the first coming, but today. The glory of God is here. I am not a scaremonger. I am a glory monger. Glory to God. When I was newly saved and first started going to camp meetings in Pefferla, Ontario, in the Canada Central District, I remember in those early days in the mid 80s, that there was a guy giving out the hymn books as people went in. And when they started singing, I really do remember when the fire came. He didn't wait for the people leading the worship to sing the song right there from the back of the church. I really do remember when the fire fell. And the whole congregation joined him. And then he would always say, glory to God. Glory to God. I kind of wonder today, where has that gone? What happened? You'd rather be a scaremonger than a glory monger. I sat on the side of glory monger all the time. I'd rather be a glory monger, give praise to God and glory to God. Because Christ still comes in glory, not then, not there, but right now in our midst today. We are so focused on Jesus, ready and participating in his kingdom that has already broken into this world, which we talked about last Sunday night. We are so pumped up with God's glory that we can't stand on the sidelines anymore. I'm not going to stand on the bench or sit on the bench. I'm not going to be a spectator in the kingdom of God that has already broken into our midst. I'm not going to view from the side. I'm not going to church just as mere entertainment. Or some of you think it's boring. Listen to these words from Henry Newman, how he explains bored people. To be bored, therefore, does not mean that we have nothing to do, but that we question the value of the things we are so busy doing. Do you find church boring because you question the truth that is in Christ Jesus, our Lord? Then you got some praying to do, because Advent is a time to pray. Advent is a time to see close to God. See, Jesus and the sharing of his story is possible because in your heart, the writer to Romans, Paul says that the Holy Spirit shed abroad in your heart the love of God through the Holy Spirit. God's done that. 
in our conversion experience. And we long to live those committed lives to this one that we call King Jesus. King and Lord. That when he arrives, there'll be no surprises in our lives, but there'll be an explosion of joy bursting from deep, deep within our hearts and in our mouths and in our lips. And we will praise the Christ who is worthy to sit on the throne. He is the Lamb. And we will be shouting glory and not trying to scare people into the kingdom, but glorifying them into the kingdom of God. Does anybody hear what I'm saying? We will build our lives around the hope promised in Christ, a glorious hope, as faithfully as Noah built the ark, as preparation for the coming day in the midst of an evil, a broken, and bankrupt culture. But he still did what God told him to do. There is a change coming, people. And God's people are not to be concerned with speculation of end-time prophecies that end up in the trash bin of book publishers that you could go find at the for sale book in the youth section. Thousands upon thousands of false predictions that have existed since Jesus first spoke these words. The people of God, according to Matthew and according to Jesus, should be about doing the business of the kingdom because God's here. God's here. Right now. And Matthew says, beware of losing focus in the tick-tock, tick-tock, tick-tock of time that we have. Beware of losing focus. This context for the passage reveals several parables that illustrate the distractive nature of humanity. Those ten bridesmaids, and Pastor Betty spoke about that at the seniors' home and technician at at the Phillips residence, about talents, about the sheep and the goats. The sheep and the goats is the end of the illustration because it leads to the judgment day of God when we divide the sheep from the goats. But all of us need to remember that we were once goats. <laughs> we were once goats before you crossed that line and Jesus saved you and sanctified you and filled you with your Holy Spirit that you got a chance to be called the sheep of God at this moment. Some of you are so distracted in our age because of all the pressures that's going on. And Matthew talks about the distractedness of the times of Noah. See, the issue wasn't that the people were marrying, eating, and drinking. The issue was that they allowed those things to distract them. There's nothing abnormal in what they were doing. It's things that we do in everyday life. But what was abnormal was those things grabbed all their attention. It consumed them. It consumed them so much that they weren't ready when the day came. Jesus' point is not that these activities were sinful, but that the people were so wrapped up in them and their everyday activities that when the Lord came, they were caught off guard. They didn't see it coming. And the Hebrew people that prophesied and were expecting a Messiah and spoke about a Messiah, Jesus arrived, not the Jesus that they thought he should be, but when he arrived, guess what? They were caught off guard. They were caught off guard. They didn't realize that he was there. Oh, there was 12 people that he handpicked, and there were some followers that came with him. But the majority of people wrote Jesus off. This guy's not the truth. This guy isn't for real. See, they were caught off guard because they forgot about God in their everyday lives. Which leads us to be alert but not alarmed. To stay woke is a real hard thing to do. 
We need the presence of the Holy Spirit. We need the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And we need to beware of losing focus. How many times have you heard a teacher? How many times have you heard a coach? How many times have you heard a parent, a teacher, a preacher, a leader, a politician say, focus, 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 and yet we drift. We drift. Some of you are drifting right now as I speak. You drift from the concentration of being focused on the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords that can come at any moment. In the twinkling of an eye, the trump shall sound. Maybe the saxophone will play. The trump shall sound. And we'll be caught up with him, with him. But if you're alarmed, you haven't been prepared. But if you're alert, like that alert that went out on Wednesday and everybody in A&W in Summerside was saying, whose phone is that? What's going on? But, you know, the government, they do these alerts. You never received one? You will. Beware. Beware of a herd mentality where you just jump on a favorite subject that people are saying or maybe a false subject and you just go along with it without questioning it be ready for the coming of the lord see the people in noah's day were not paying attention to the signs around them that were pointing them towards salvation instead they lived they lived as if god doesn't factor in their life oh okay i go i go to sunday school i go to church on sunday morning and okay then the rest of the week is for me, Lord. <laughs> I don't know where you find that in Scripture. The rest of the week is for me. See, they lived, as we talked about with the church board a few weeks ago, as if people that are in the kingdom of God are in the church, rather, and they live as if they no longer need a God. So how do you pastor people in an age like we live in today, in a generation that we live in today, who really don't want God? What they want is a social club or the social community, but they really don't want the God who comes and intervenes in our lives, who comes suddenly and changes us and transforms us and makes us in his image and says, go out into the world. That God, no, that's very rare that we want a God like that. Or we're so busy living our own lives that we just want God as, as a side issue or an insurance policy that when he does come, we'll, we'll have a get-out-of-hell card in our pockets. Well, that's not the gospel. Charles Taylor, Andrew Root, wrote this part. He's a professor at McGill University in Montreal. He's a philosopher, and he wrote about the secular age, and Andrew Root brings it into focus for Christians in the evangelical world. He said, Charles Taylor has reminded us what we once lived in a world that was enchanted. And we kind of threw out these seeds uh, a few times in the last few months, if you've been paying attention. Enchantment was that it was an age where people believed in miracles. People believed in angels and demons. People believed that people can intervene in our, in our world at any given time. And there was some ultimate principalities and powers that were beyond us, but they come into our world and they affect the way we lived. They believed in a God. <laughs> And they believed in a good God, and they believed in an evil God, and they believed in many gods, but that's not where we live today. We, we don't believe that those type of beings exist anymore for the more major part, that they don't come and they don't puncture our world with new events and new beginnings as Jesus did. But they come to the conclusion, he writes, that what the world has kind of come to believe is of an arrival of aliens. <laughs> we believe in E.T. 
We believe in Star Wars characters. We believe in encounters of the third kind, but we don't believe in the reality of angels and demons and God and Jesus and the Holy Spirit. He said it's the perfect, imminent, frame-bound nightmare, which is why a high percentage of our alien arrival stories play out with a battle for Earth and ensuing warfare. I wonder where they got that thesis from. The stories reveal that something in us is still open to the eventful change that is about to come. Locked in the imminent frame and stuck in a flat but massive universe, we have a hard time imagining the arrival of angels or demons, but highly sophisticated, advanced space travelers in tiny ships or shiny ships is possible? Where have we shifted humanity into believing and an alien could come, but God can't? God can't? Do you care? Do you believe in the coming of Christ our Lord? The church itself has lost emphasis and focus on the expected return. Revivals were birthed because people were ready for Christ to come. People lived their lives following Jesus as if Christ could come at any time. They attended prayer meetings and prayed for the lost souls of the community because they believed Christ could come. But we got so comfortable, we got so disenchanted that we need to watch Hollywood movies to remember what enchantment is all about. And we don't pray for the lost souls anymore because we're so busy praying for our own affluent life. Hello? Am I talking to anybody? King Jesus will return when the people least expect it. And Matthew says, they knew nothing. They were alarmed in Noah's days. See, there's a focus here on suddenness. There's a focus here on unpredictability. The coming of the Son of Man will be without prior sign or warning. Yes, we believe that Christ is coming, but we often allow other things to consume our time, and eat our spirits. Being ready requires active participation. Waiting means active waiting. It doesn't mean sitting and waiting for something to happen. It means get on with the work of the Lord and be alert and be sober and expect God to break in while we are breaking bread while we are singing in seniors' homes, while we are bringing food to the sick and, and the, and the shut-ins, while we do all these type of ministries, be alert for God's interruption and puncturing of this present day in which we live in. See, we are the bride of Christ, and he's our bridegroom, and we're on tippy-toes because we want to see his coming, and we want to belong to be caught up with him, and for that reason, we are the hopeful. We are the hopeful. And Matthew employs the use of criminal language as he discussed Jesus' return. He's going to come like a thief. I mean, that's a pretty simple illustration that Jesus gives, and it's one not hard to figure out. You don't have to be an Iraqi scientist to figure it out. If you're a good thief, you don't tell people you're going to go rob them. You don't tell them that you're going to come to their house at such and such a time, and you're going to take whatever they have there. And you don't know when the thief breaks in. I remember when Pastor Betty and, our, and myself lived in, in Schaffhausen, Germany border there in Switzerland, and we were off campus. We had an apartment off campus. And because 
the family was getting bigger. We had to put the kids in a bedroom, and we slept on a pull-out couch in the living room. And it was hot, and there was no air conditioning. Remember the days where you, had, you just suffered, that's all. And you survived without air conditioning. So we would open up the, the patio, the patio uh, no, the balcony, the balcony door to keep us cool at night. And it was a very peaceful town. There was no problems there. You never seen anybody get shot, killed, and that type of stuff, or even stealing for that matter. Then all of a sudden, we were there sleeping, and my wife got up, and she let out a scream, and then I got up and acted like a, like a fool, and I thought, Arr! and the guy took off. And then I wondered, am I seeing things, or did I just react because she reacted? <laughs> so we called the local German police to come, and guess what? Somebody did jump off the, the balcony. It was, it was only one floor up anyway. It wasn't that much of a jump. But he did notice that the hedges were, were kind of run into, and they broke off at the branches. And I said, I guess, honey, you were right. You did see something. But from that night on, we had a, I had a baseball bat beside me. If this guy tries that again, I'm going to be ready for him. But he didn't say, I'm coming, Mike and Betty, and I'm going to enter your house at such and such a day. But we were nevertheless ready. She was, anyway. <laughs> and she woke me. And that's what we need to do. If you are the one that's alert, alert the other one who is still sleeping, waiting for the Lord. What we hear about this is not only that Jesus comes like a thief in the night, but the second coming of Jesus will divide families and work colleagues. One will be taken and the other left. The closest implication here is that despite the closest of associations that we have in life, one is taken to judgment and the other is spared. So the one taken is brought to judgment. I know some of you heard a different take on this that the one taken is the one that is saved and the one left behind, I mean, the one left behind is the one that is judged and the one taken is, is okay, whatever. The one taken is saved and the one left behind is judged. But it's actually the reverse of that. And then I, I can come to the conclusion there that no matter what take you want to have on this, and I think I believe in the one taken to judgment because in Luke's gospel, the same story, he says, where were they taken? And the answer was where the vultures gather. And where vultures gather is a sign of death, not life, sorry. But anyway, whatever your take is on this, who's taken and who's left behind, are you prepared? Those are irrelevant when it comes to the terms of getting ready for Advent. I don't care what side of the equations that you want to take. Are you ready for Christ's coming? See, Jesus is saying there's not a difference in, it is not a difference in work, sex, or social status which causes the separation. What causes the separation is the difference of readiness. Readiness. Today, two people will hear this sermon. One will greet Jesus, and the other one will be taken to judgment. That's how real Jesus is talking to his audience. Imagine these guys when they were listening to him, just like they did at the Last Supper. Was it I, Lord? Emma, is it me, Lord? See, the ones not taken were the ones left behind as the days of Noah swept away. And we have Noah's story, and I, I shared this at the church board retreat too, that I'm reading a leadership book by Rabbi Jonathan Sachs on the Hebrew text. 
And he says that, no, such a righteous man. Why didn't they build shrines and memorials to, to Noah? And they said because Noah in the Jewish tradition is known as the one who has a righteous fur coat. In other words, he keeps himself warm. His righteousness is kept to himself. He doesn't share with the other people. He doesn't tell them God's judgment is coming. He's building the ark. He's being obedient to God. He's, he's living that righteous life, him and God, and God knows that he's the only righteous one left, and he protects him and his family. That's all he saves. He says, but God is looking for a righteous person that can strike up a match, throw it in the campfire, set it on flame and on fire, and the warmth from that campfire will warm the whole world, and that righteous one is Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. Glory to God. So what righteousness are you living? The fur coat one that keeps yourself warm or the one that's going to light a fire? And you know the old song, it only takes a spark to get the fire going, right? Focus, focus, focus. There was a man that was focusing on the Lord's coming so much and, and I read about this guy that whenever he went to bed at night, he didn't take off his clothes. He sat in the chair, and like Noah in the righteous fur coat, he kept himself warm. He says, Lord, I don't know where you're coming, but I'm ready. <laughs> I don't think that's what God meant for us to be ready. I think he wants us to go about doing the work of God. But at least he was serious about this passage, that he believed that God will enter in in Christ Jesus at any moment. And the saved and the lost will coexist until this final trumpet sounds and Christ will appear. See, King Jesus will not rent billboards to announce his coming. King Jesus will not take up radio space to announce his coming. King Jesus will not post Facebook's news to announce his coming. King Jesus will not tweet about his coming. King Jesus would not put a picture on Instagram to say, this is how it's going to look like when I arrive. But let me tell you that Christ will come. Do you believe this? Hello? Do you believe this? In light of the thiefonology given by King Jesus, it's astonishing that some Christians can still attempt to work out the day of his coming and try to gain financially on it. Hello? We need to regain focus. Uh, hope. Those are beautiful words, are they not? Hope. It's our greatest challenge, said someone. Hope is also our greatest opportunity. Hope is our greatest reward. Hope. Church, do you have hope? Do you really have hope? Living in such close communion with the King of kings and the Lord of lords, it doesn't matter what this world throws at me, give me Jesus. And live for Jesus. Martin Luther King says, I'm going to maintain hope. And you know the period of time and the civil rights and the segregation and all that was going on south of the border. And he said these words, with this faith, we will be able to hew out of the mountain of despair, the stone of hope, out of the setbacks of life that we have, out of the despairs, after so many hundreds of years of being traded that less than dirt, and I was a slave, that out of that despair, I'm going to cut out a stone of hope. 
that will get me to the other side. And he had that dream. And he lived that dream. You see, when is Jesus coming? Is the question we all ask. But it's the wrong question. The right question is, what are we going to do now? What are you doing now? The answer is not fascination with the future, but attention to the now, this present moment. Does Christ only come twice, the first judgment, uh, first coming as a baby and the second coming as a judge? I agree with what someone says. I think that short changes the gospel. If we only have these two sandwich ends of belief without believing that in this moment, Christ is here. That's why we come to church. That's why we read scriptures. That's why we praise the Lord. That's why we lift up our voices. That's why I am a glory monger and not a scaremonger because I believe the glory is here. And you might think I'm foolish, but I don't give a rip because I believe in the God of glory that lives with his people. An arrival event is approaching, that is for sure. And with my whole heart, I believe in the Christ who comes among us in glory. And I do believe in the awesome finale, the ultimate coming of Christ at the culmination of history when the Father designs, and only him can take that day. He is there at the end, and he's drawing me to that time with all the threads of faith hope and love together, one glorious consummation, and we, the ones that have died and gone to be with the Lord, and we that are alive, that when we be with him, and that we shall be raised to him, and that we experience that resurrection all together, the ones that died and the, the glory that's got to come yet, we experience resurrection together, and we become like Jesus. Because Jesus, the human being, is still alive, even though he's 2,000 years old, because he defeated sin and death and that power. Do you believe that? Do you believe that? That's our hope. It's not pipe dreams. It's a promise from God to his people, and he wants us to live in that glory. And I'll close with this illustration from St. Bernard of Clairol. He believes in three comings. And I've heard this and read about it in so many books the last six or seven months, the intermediate coming is like a road on which we travel from the first coming to the last. In the first, Christ was our redemption, our sanctification, our wisdom, as Paul says to the Corinthians. In the last, he will appear as our love, our life. He is the judge, but he is the Lord, the giver of life. But in his immediate position, in his intermediate coming, the God that is in us and with us and in this room right now speaking to us, he is our comfort and rest. Aren't you glad? Aren't you glad? See, if you miss him now, you will miss him then. Hello? If you miss him now, you will miss him then. You're not only ready then, the question that Jesus asked us since the time he uttered these words is, are you ready now? Are you ready now? As the worship team comes and we'll sing this old song of the church, well, at least of this generation's, soon and very soon we are going to see the king. It's kind of sad that they sang that song for Michael Jackson's funeral. 
because he was not the king of kings and the lord of lords. And they sang it in relationship to him, what is not to be sung in relationship to him. Soon and very soon you are going to see the king. Are you willing to get on board and become a glory monger and shout glory to God? Glory to God. Gloria Dio. That God is alive and God is with us. We do not serve the God of the dead, but the God of the living. And his people should be people of life. Even though our sickness is, is cruelly taken away at us or eating at us, and we're decaying in this body, but inwardly we'll be renewed day by day, the Apostle Paul says. Do we believe that anymore? Are we preparing more to visit Dave Ferguson or Dave Smith instead of looking with our hands up and saying, Take me, glorious Lord. You know what the saints said? I do not look to the ground for the undertaker. My eyes are focused to the sky on the glory taker. God, the upper taker of our lives. Let us stand and sing this with joy unto the God that is with us and for us and will be here for us as well. Amen. Soon and very soon. <laughs>